Hogan's The Most Unorthodox Show on the Globe. I am one of your hosts, Myra King. This is Desi Dez. And it's your boy Mojo in the building. And we got a very special guest with us as usual, but this one in particular, very special. You know, we've been we've been searching and this man here, you know, his name ring bells if you think about it. So I'd like you to introduce yourself, sir, and let the people know who you are. How you guys doing? So my name is J.R. McKee. Um, I'm a streaming executive. I've been in the industry for about 15 years. Um, I currently hold the title of head of digital sales and revenue at Alamo Records, which is your ride ways, your little dirts of the world. Um, and so, you know, um, mainly my, my main position is to just work with DSPs, digital service providers, which is the Apples, the Spotify's, Pandora's of the world. And so I, I pretty much oversee the communication with those with those guys um, and just oversee streaming strategy. Okay. And so you have a long catalog of of, of work in the industry. Um, yeah, yeah. That I could see. Yeah. Well, for starters, you're actually you're from Cleveland, Ohio, correct? Yes, yes. My whole family's from Cleveland. Um, I was actually born in San Diego. Okay. Because um, my dad was in the Navy. Okay. But my my majority of my life, my early life was in Cleveland, Ohio, with majority of my whole family. I mean, my grandparents had 16 kids, so it's a huge family up there. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's nice, bro. They were a big family. Listen, man, listen. As you <laughs> should, as you <laughs> should. Give back to the community. Yeah. That is your mission. Now, listen, how is that? 16, 16 people in the house. I mean. Well, you know what? It's cr- um, crazy. So... We all come from this one particular project. Um, it's called 30th. And so my grandfather and grandmother lived in a, a three-bedroom project apartment. And imagine 16, you know what I mean, children coming out of there. Now, of course, when you have 16 kids, you're going to have your grown ones and your young ones. So as people got older, they moved out. So it wasn't 16 at once, mm-hmm. but the traffic was incredible and, and then you have grandkids like even i was there you know what i mean so um it was i don't know when you're that young it just feels like life you don't know you're poor you don't know any of these things it's just this is just my life you know what i mean um so it was pretty cool to me i, I didn't have no issues with it um you know um, i can imagine holiday hectic mm. yeah i mean amazing the holidays was amazing you know my, my grandfather was an incredible chef my grandmother cooked so I mean, holidays was amazing. Um, it's, it still is. I still go back there for uh, Thanksgiving um, and different holidays. So it's a good life. I, I think, you know, the larger the family, the the more stability you have because you have more people to lean on. And so I want to create a large family. I only have one daughter now, but, you know, my goal is to create a large family as well. Yeah. So, yeah. so you actually got into the industry, like you started off throwing your own events, parties. Yeah, so my mother married um, my stepfather, and they moved to Mississippi. Um, my grandmother was a huge entrepreneur, um, and she owned a lot of real estate. She just owned a lot in this little small town, but one of the properties that she owned had a nightclub in it. Like, she basically owned, like, a block of, uh, what do you call those, uh, shopping centers? Okay. Yeah, a so she basically of- owned, yeah, she basically owned something, something in that vein. And part of it was a nightclub. And so she allowed me to start, well, she sort of pushed me to start throwing parties because I had I had been selling, um, go deep in the store, I had been selling throwback jerseys and White T came out and Jay-Z came out with the line about him wearing the jersey. And so it basically killed my business. Like I was 
throwback jerseys was like crack. Like I was buying them for $30, $40, selling them for $800. So I was making a killing. Yeah, I was making a killing. I was talking about I'm making thousands of dollars a day, thousands of dollars a day selling throwback jerseys. Um, Until again, French House Boys, White Tee, Jay-Z had his little line about the button downs. And it just, it literally killed my business. Um, And so I remember just being super down about that. And she was like, listen, you know, you can throw some parties at the club and make some money. And so that's what I ended up doing. I got really good at it. Um, And that's normal. Like normally if I put my mind to something, I'm going to be successful at it. You know what I mean? And so I got really good at throwing parties. Everybody from the artists to other DJs in the city, they started wanting to come because, you know, I had a big crowd of people. They started wanting to come participate and they want to perform or they want to make sure that the record get played. And so it kind of just intertwines you in that life. Um, and so some of the people that I got really close with ended up having a big hit song. And when they did, they sort of just took me along. I didn't, I didn't have any aspirations of being in the music business. Um, they sort of just took me along and I kind of became their manager kind of by default. Like I, I didn't know, I didn't even know what a manager was, but these are my friends. They're doing things, they're making money. I started handling the business for them. You know what I mean? Just because I was their friend and I was a smart enough person that they trusted to to do that. You know what I mean? And so that was my entry into the world of the music business. And once I kind of figured out, you know, man, the person who making all the money here is the label. Um, I decided, okay, well, I'm gonna start me a label then. Cause that's where all the money's, uh, you know, we had generated millions of dollars. We sold like multi-platinum ringtones, multi-platinum record. We had been on the road. Um, and I'm just like, we had little money. They had big money. And I'm like, oh, that's where the money is. You know what I mean? And so I started a label. And so that was like my entrance to the music business. Um, Again, it never was a dream or anything like that. I always just wanted to be a millionaire. <laughs> that was the only dream. Like, how am I going to get rich? You know what I mean? And so from, in my mind, it was always business, um, but it just ended up being music business. Hey, you noticed it was little money because you had money. Where somebody well, said, without I, money, they probably would look at it. This is a lot of money. No, what ended up happening is we, we made a a lot of money on the road because that's normally how the artist makes money from doing their shows and stuff like that. Um, but when the ride was over, we came home with no money because, and this is, you know, a mistake that I learned early. I believe that this was just the beginning. This is going to last forever. This is my new life now. Like thousands, or really more like tens of thousands of dollars a weekend. It's nothing. I can spend it on this. I can spend it on that. This is the beginning. We're going to be making this for the rest of our life, but it didn't happen like that. Our record got hot. Um, we put out an album. It did It did very mediocre. You know what I mean? And before you knew it, the ride was over. And so all of that money that was just falling out of the sky stopped falling. But as it fell, I was spending it right back out. All of us were. Because we wasn't thinking, like, I need to save this. I need to stack. I need to find a way to reinvest this. That was my, not my thought as a 19-year-old. As a 19-year-old, my thought was, blow this money. You know what I mean? I got more next weekend because that's literally what it was. Every weekend, more money came. You know what I mean? But once that ride is over and you come home, like, back to your regular apartment, you're like, man, wait a minute. We was making a lot of money, but who really was making the money was the label because they're still generating. To this day, that record still makes money. 
we're not seeing any of it because we aren't the label. You know what I mean? And so I, I kind of always have an abysmal, I break down and analyze any, any situation. You know, I break down the business. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm seeing where the money flows in, who's making the money, who's essential to the business. I don't know. That's just how my mind works as an entrepreneur. You know what I mean? I, um, I should have just talked about my father a little bit more, but my father, when I was 12 years old on, made me read books, like to the point where if I didn't read this book, I couldn't go outside and play. You know what I mean? And the books were about entrepreneurship. So they were about marketing. They were about business. He, he got out of the projects by becoming a nurse. Like he got out of the project through school because my grandmother was a nurse. And so literally out of the 16 people in the family, um, I would say a third of them are nurses because that was their way out. That was the route that they viewed to get out of the projects that we were living in. You know what I mean? But even though he took that route, he understood there was a better route. And so he kind of forced the better route on me. He made sure I knew exactly how to be an entrepreneur. You know what I mean? And so anyway, long story short, once we got into actual life as a 19 year old in business, you know, my mind just worked different because I had read all these books. And I understood entrepreneurship and I understood business. So I broke the business down. And so I knew that the label had all the money. And so I started the label. I'm like, okay, if I want to really make money in this business, I need to start a label. So that way I'm not waiting for a check every weekend. My check is for life. You know what I mean? And that's what I did. Um, and so we went in, we went and started a label. I think I was 20, going on 21. When we officially started it, we signed our first artist because we had a lot of a lot of hype from being on the road. Like this was back with MySpace. So imagine the same way somebody could be popping on Instagram right now for running around with Lil Dirk. Okay, well, I was popping on MySpace for running around with the artist. You know what I mean? Um and so I used yeah, so I used that popularity to sign another artist to sign my first artist. And so that's how I signed my first artist. And, and again, I didn't have any money. I had blew it all on the road. So we signed them for free. We didn't have any money to push them. We just pushed them on MySpace. Like we literally just sat there every day at the computer, commenting on fan pages, um, DMing fans, just writing fans, just interacting with fans, just building the fan base, putting up our music and, and sharing our music. Um, and it worked out for us. And so that was kind of like my, my intro again into the music business before I really before I really got deep into it because that those first few years it was us by ourselves. It was just our little team. The same way you guys are three building this team. And as you guys continue to grow, more people will start to come in. Well in our first three years it was like you guys. It, it was just our small little group on MySpace in Mississippi, grinding and grinding and grinding, um, trying to make something happen. Now you so say you're on the road you're on the road at this time. You have the artist. Um, you, you you said that you know you all basically blew the money. No more uh, flying money. flash. No more money was coming out of the sky. You had these artists. You still had these this business mind, these dreams, these goals, these aspirations. A lot of change and reigns. Right. No more bills so, and dollar thrills. Right. You know. And so you figured out like, yo, <laughs> I need to start a label. So you start the label. Yeah. How was that whole process starting the label? Hey, this your boy Desi Des. And it's your boy Mojo. And if you like what you are seeing so far, make sure you, you like, like comment, and subscribe to the page. Please. And if all else fails and you like what you're talking about, so as this merch wise, baby, hit us up. 
You know what I'm saying? Check us out on YouTube or Instagram or Facebook at Twisted Youngins with a Z. You know what I'm talking about? Make sure you give us an email mm-hmm. at twistedyoungins at gmail.com for all promotions. Where is it at? At twistedyoungers at gmail.com? Yes, sir, with a Z. And also, if y'all don't like what you see right now as far as merch-wise, we yeah. got more merch, and we also do your yeah, merch. Do your merch, Send too. Us in a we couple support designs. everybody. Yeah, and we do promotional packages, interviews, videos, articles, whatever you guys need, man. Just Thank make you. sure you hit us up. Holla at you, baby. Because you also said something so, say that if you're going to be a manager, and you know managers aren't supposed to invest in the artist, but if you are going to invest in the artist, you might mm-hmm. as well start a label. Yeah, because I mean, in business period, if you invest money into something, you you should get equity in return. You know what I mean? That's just that's just the way business works. If you guys are starting a business and I say, hey, here's fifty thousand dollars, I'm not gonna give you that money for free. I just work with you guys while you blow my fifty thousand. I'm giving you that money because I need a percentage of the business. You know what I mean? And so when I started the label, I started it with a partner. So the group that I was on the road with, they had a friend. This wasn't my friend. This was, this was their friend. But he produced and wrote their songs. Like, even the song that blew us up, he produced and wrote that song. Mm. So I understood that he was probably the most valuable figure in this whole equation because he was the one that made the music that got us out there in the first place. And so I went to him. And like I said, this wasn't even my friend. We became friends over time, but this was just somebody I knew through him. Um, but I understood the value of him. Like if I want to, if I want to have a successful artist, somebody has to produce it, and somebody who knows how to write hits, he had already proven he knew how to write hits. You know what I mean? So somebody who knows how to write hits is probably going to be the most valuable person I could bring into this equation. You know what I mean? I'm sure there's a reason there's three of y'all at the table instead of just one of y'all because all of y'all are adding some sort of value to the situation. Yeah. And so for me, I'm like, I need a partner that's going to add the most value. You know I mean, I could have started a part. Of, I could have started a label with the other artists, but I just didn't see the value in that. I started a label with the most valuable person that was in the equation, and so me and him came together. We started a label. Um, and back then, it's not like now where you can go on uh, LegalZoom.com. We had to like go down to the courthouse and, and fill out the paperwork to start the label, and that's what we did. We went down to the courthouse in Jackson, Mississippi, put the paperwork out. Started our, our, our first, uh, well, not our first, it was our only label. We still had a label to this day. Still have artists on that label. Um, but yeah, so we started the label. I put out a call on MySpace, like, just to see other artists. Um, I ended up finding somebody who I really loved. Um, he was an artist by the name of The Joker. I ended up finding him. I really loved him. I thought he was very special. He was a great lyricist. Um, you know what I mean? And so I, I just loved him. And so we signed him. Like I said, we didn't have any money, so we had to just put in all sweat equity. You know what I mean? We just had to work our butts off. Sweat equity and creativity is really all we had to go off of. Um, Whatever happened to him? And what ended up happening, it well, he, he became very successful for, for that time period. Um, what ended up happening is we came across, and, and what kind of changed our lives is, I came across a company called TuneCore that allowed you to upload your music to, at the time, was iTunes mm. um, and, you know, generate money. Because up until that point, we as a label hadn't generated any money. The only person that was making money was the artist because he was really big. He was doing shows at that time for like 5000 and up, you know what I mean, two, three shows a weekend. So he was generating a lot of money, but we weren't generating money as a label. 
until I, until they um, invented iTunes and gave us a way to sell online versus going out the trunk like people used to do. Um, I don't know for some reason we never sold CDs out the trunk, um, but you know iTunes came along and we started selling on iTunes and uh, that that changed a lot. We ended up making like you know I remember the first week I put it up there, um, I came back and checked the account. It was twenty five hundred dollars and I was like whoa like twenty five hundred dollars okay. Then um, about a month in, it was 30000 in there. And then the next month, it was another 30000 Then the next month, and like literally every month, 30 band checks. And by this time, I was working for somebody. I was working um, for Boo, who's Akon's brother. Mm-hmm. He's a, uh, who ended up becoming the vice president of Def Jam. I was, I was an A&R on his staff. And I remember coming to him and showing him this $30,000 check and he fired me. <laughs> he fired me. He didn't kick me off the team, but he took me off a payroll. And I was, and I was like, okay, whatever. But I didn't care. He was only paying me like twelve hundred a month anyway. Mm. But it was like he, I guess he just felt like I don't need his money. You know, what I mean? <laughs> so he yeah. took me off a payroll. I'll never let him forget that. Now he took me off a payroll. Kind of way. But I still work with him. You know what I mean? And he's. I said, did you feel some kind of way after no, that? No, not really. Um, Cause it's twelve hundred, you know. Right now, no, I, I didn't. I mean, I, I was so well off at that point. You know what I mean? I was like, man, forget the little twelve hundred. He was paying me twelve hundred a month. I'm making thirty bands a month, so it's like whatever. You know what I mean? Plus, you know, he was like, he wasn't. He's not that much older than me, but this is more like a father figure to me. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't tripping. I'm like, it's whatever. I, I don't care, you know, I'm good. Um, and I, I still work with him even past, like even though he took me off payroll, I still did everything I was doing before he took me off payroll. You know what I mean? So I, I, I didn't trip, no. How did you get I, to but the I won't point where you was a <laughs> You know what I'm saying? How did you get to the point where you was a and so, Right, so we moved to Atlanta when I was 21. Mm. Um, and so that's um, myself, and Joker, uh, Fruit, who's my partner, who produced all the records um, from then all the way to now, he still produces all our records. Um, he was about to get married, so he stayed with his wife in Mississippi, but I moved to Atlanta, Joker moved to Atlanta. And so one of the ways that I was making money, because remember, we didn't we didn't start making money until, well, I didn't say this, but when I turned 23 or 24, so I started, I, uh, I moved to Atlanta at 21. So there were two years when I were in Atlanta and I didn't have any money. You know, I was broke. I was working at Applebee's. The label was doing well. Joker was doing well. He was going off doing shows every weekend, but I didn't manage him. He was just signed to me. And so that's another thing too, is like show money where it used to be this way until they invented the 360 deal. But back then, you know, there wasn't the 360 deal. I had him signed to where I owned the masters and I controlled the music. But I didn't control what he did on the road and everything like that. He had management for that. And so his managers got paid, but we didn't get paid as a label. Um, so anyway, so the label's doing well um, publicly, like in, in, in a public space, doing well. Like everybody knows this, you know what I'm saying? But I'm not necessarily making any money. So I'm literally, I'm working at Applebee's. So the way that I made money outside of my job was selling fruits, beets. And so I had relationships with everybody. Cause you, when you go on the road with a with a hit song, you're not doing these shows by yourself. You're doing these shows with all the other hot artists. So I, I was cool with Young Jock franchise with everybody that was hot in, in this moment. Young Jock franchise boy, Sunny V, 
Jermaine Dupri, like everybody that was popping at that moment, I was tight with them. You know what I'm saying? Cause we had been on the road for nine months together. We, we, everybody with the hit songs is all on the same shows. Every weekend we seeing each other, you know what I'm saying? So I had a tight relationship with all them. So I'm, so when I'm in Atlanta, I'm selling them beats. And that's one of the, one of the main reasons I came to Atlanta is cause like, this is where they are reporting that I can make money from selling them beats. And so that's what I was doing. I was making money that way. So I say that to say, when I met Boo, he would go out to the clubs and I would be with him. And he, I, I was 21, maybe 22, but I looked like I was 16. I always had, I always had like a super baby face. So I look like a child, you know what I mean? And so when he would go to the clubs, everybody knew me. He just couldn't understand how everybody knew this kid. You know what I'm saying? And so that was the first thing that put me on his radar. Is he would see me and everybody knew me. And so every, not only did they know me, like but they respect me, like it big up me, you know what I mean? Like that, like this is my nigga type shit. Cause I've been in the studio with him every night. All the all, everybody that was popping at that moment was my nigga. You know what I'm saying? And I was dating. So when we went out to the clubs, he, he started seeing that. So that's how I got sort of entwined with him, right? Like he would start, he would start rocking with me. And so how I ended up getting the AR job is he had started his label. Um, it's called Boo Vision. It's still called Boo Vision, I think, if I'm not mistaken. But he started his label, and he signed his first artist, and then Saha the Prince, who I'm sure you guys are familiar with. Yeah. So he signed Saha the Prince. So one time, what ended up happening is he went to New York for business, and he might have been gone a week. And me and Saha stayed in the studio that whole week. And when he came back, me and Saha probably had like 40 records. You know what I mean? Like we had been in the studio the whole week just putting records together, writing records, you know what I mean? And he was just so impressed. I mean, that's a big part of A&R job is, is putting together records. You know what I mean? Like, we're, we're supposed to develop the artists. And so when he saw me do that without him even asking or without, you know what I mean? Like, he didn't ask me to A&R Sahai. That was just part of my passion. Like, I, I stay in the studio every day. You know what I mean? And so when he left Sahai the studio for a week, I was in that thing. Like, you know what I mean? I, you know, I had just met Saha, but we clicked. You know what I'm saying? And so I was in that thing. So we made like 40 records. And when he came back and he saw that, he was like, yo, I need you to be my A&R. And so that's, that's how I got the job. And so that's, that, um, I worked for him for maybe, maybe three years until K-Camp blew up. Once K-Camp blew up, that's when I stopped working for Boo. And what was that like, that transition? Um, well, it was it, it wasn't the smoothest because I signed K Kemp when he was a local artist. Like, you know, nobody, nobody really knew of him like that. The city knew of him because he had some some local buzz, you know what I'm saying? But he just wasn't no big popping artist. And so I kept trying to convince Boo to help us. You know what I mean? I'm like, yo, Boo, I got this artist. Fire Boo would let us like record in the studio, but that was about it. That was the extent of the help. I kept telling him, like, yo, like, you know what I mean? This is this this dude finna blow up. I'm, I promise you, he finna blow up. And so about time it actually came to fruition and he blew up. Then Boo tried to come along, and I'm like, my nigga, I've been telling you this. <laughs> I've been telling you, you know what I mean? Like, bro, we don't need you now. We the biggest, like literally. When he tried to sign us, we were literally the biggest independent act in the country. I'm mm -hmm. like, bro, why would I need why, why would I need your production label? Like, bro, we need a major. Like, we don't need a production label. Like, we're past that already. 
we're the biggest act in the country independently. You know what I mean? Like, so it just, it, it, it no longer made sense. And so he was not happy about that, to say the least. He was very unhappy that, you know what I mean? And we still super tight to this day. So, you know, these stories is cool because he, he it's been years, you know what I mean? But at that moment, he was not happy, you know what I mean? But, you know, it was, it was, we had already, Hopefully yeah, you we had already outgrew it. Yeah. Say it again? Hopefully you learned to trust your ear. Yeah, I mean, shoot, um, he had been trusting me. That was, that's the whole reason I was his AR because he trusted my ear. Well, why you wouldn't you sign K Cam if you he know you ain't gonna lie to him? Like, dude, this is I'm in the studio yeah, every day right with here. this guy. Bro, I know what's my, coming well, down the pipeline. The question is, did he hear his music? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Okay. Of course, because we was recording in his studio. So how could you not hear his music? I guess mm-hmm. he wasn't feeling. I mean, like we didn't record there full of time, but a lot of the times we were in his studio recording. And so you helped co-found yeah. 300 Entertainment. No, 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 not at all. And I still have nothing to do with 300. Maybe you mean Alamo. But I don't have well, anything to do with 300. Okay, so Alamo started off as like a uh, like a partnership with Universal. Oh, you're thinking? No, you're thinking about Todd Moskowitz, who owns Alamo. Todd helped co-found co-found 300 and left to create Alamo, but which by the way, Todd was actually the first when we got that record deal when I was 19 years old. That was Todd Moskowitz who signed us. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like he's literally seen me from a child to now. You know what hmm. I mean? So now I'm I'm his head of digital sales and revenue for his company Alamo. And so uh when you met you met a person over at Umpire at South by Southwest, and they said you were one of the first people to uh, to sell yeah, a mixtape yeah, so, on iTunes, right? Right, and so that was Gazi who owns Empire. Uh, he created Empire. We met. I don't know what year it was, but one year, Boo sent me down. Well, he didn't send me. I asked that I go, and he paid for me to go to South by Southwest to look for more artists. Um, and while I was there. This guy named Gazi, who I, I didn't know at the time, I didn't know him or Empire at the time. This is a super early thing. It was probably, the, I think it might have been a year he actually started Empire. And he came up to me, he's like, hey, you're JR. And I was like, yeah, what's going on? You know what I mean? And he's like, he was like, man, I'm Gazi. I just started this um this company or whatever. I don't know if he said he just started, but he was telling me about Empire. And then he was like, man, you're the first person I ever saw put a mixtape on iTunes. And I was like, damn, like, and when I thought about it, I was like, shit, I really might have been. But of course, I would expect him to know because that's what he does, independent distribution. Mm. And so, because even before he started Empire, he was working for, um, uh, what's the name, Ingrooves. He's working for Ingrooves, which is another distribution company. So he's been in distribution before he started Empire. So I would expect him to be right. But when I thought about it, I was like, yeah, I had never seen nobody else do it because only reason I did it is because I saw a, a beer commercial. And so that's what made me do it. I saw a beer commercial, a Budweiser commercial. Um, and it was like, you can brew it, but can you sell it? And I was like, dang, man. I was like, we can make the music, but can we sell it? I was like, yo, we need to be selling it. I, I don't know why as a late. Oh, I do know why. The reason I hadn't started selling it yet is because I was expecting to follow the regular model. But the only thing I knew was to follow the regular model of make the music, get a record deal, and they then distribute the music. That was the only thing that existed back then. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Back then, independent artists didn't sell music on iTunes. iTunes had just really got created. You know what I mean? Back then, um, before that, it was only in the stores. 
And so for me, I was like, as soon as we get this record deal, they're going to pay us out. That's how we're going to make our money. That, that was going to be my entrance to getting money was us signing a record deal, which today I still don't know why we never signed one because we were making so much money. Um, I'm talking about after we got on iTunes, we were making so much money that even TuneCore themselves called me to find out how we were making so much money. You know what I mean? And so I don't know how we never signed a deal after that. You know what I mean? So, but we did. We did sign a deal um, into K Camp, which I signed K Camp, and we popped him, and then we signed a, a JV with Interscope. Hey, is there any artists that you skipped on that you regret? Yes, regret is a terrible word, and I hate to say it, mm-hmm. but there are two very important ones. So Tunji, who signed us to uh, Interscope, he was a person that we took the meeting for us at Interscope that got us going in that building and got us signed to Interscope, brought me Bryson Tiller. And he wasn't the first one to bring him to me. Bryson Tiller's original manager, Steve, was actually friends with my artist, The Joker, and Steve brought him to me first. Hmm. And I was just like, I, I, I mean, I'm gonna just be honest, I ignored the text messages. Like when he kept he kept texting like two, three times about it and I ignored the text messages, but then Tunji hit me about it. And I was like, yo, like, I was like, yo, I don't think you're the first person to hit me. I went back in my text and I'm like, yeah, uh, Steve hit me about this kid too. And so I listened to the music like from, from Tunji and I, I'm gonna just be so honest about this, even though it sounds so stupid saying it now. I told him, I don't think that this makes sense because he talks about the same things K-Camps talks about, and I don't want to make K-Camp jealous. I don't want to have the same sort of energy around K-Camp because I feel like they were talking about the same things. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I passed on Bryson. And Same things like women. Yeah, like they were talking about the same thing. Like if K-Camp had his KISS series that was a full series dedicated to women that he still does to this day. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it was like, this guy sounds, you know, sound exactly like K-Camp, but he sounds like they're in the same vein. You know what I mean? And so I was like, I don't think it makes sense. I didn't want to, I didn't want to upset K-Camp. And I was just like, I already have a K-Camp. Why would I want two? You know what I mean? So I just passed on it. I was just like, nah, I'm straight. You know what I mean? Mm. And then I believe not even two years ago, I guess two years ago now, because we're at the end of 2020, but about two years ago, it was, well, let's just say this. It was 2018 for sure. I know the fact since 2018. In 2018, my partner brought me the baby. And he was like, yo, you should, he was like, yo, you got to get this kid. You got to get this kid. And this is after I had, I already knew who the baby was because I had seen him in South by Southwest with the diaper on. I remember that. Baby. And I, yeah. And I, and I'm, I'm just giving it all the way funky with y'all. I told my friend. If he was going to blow, he's blown by now. That's <laughs> what I told my friend. I said, if he was going to blow, he'd have blown by now. Oh, <laughs> man. So you was acting like the other guy uh, oh, that you was working with. Like, yeah. I was thinking about that, too. <laughs> you was acting uh-huh. like the other guy you was working with that wouldn't give K-Camp a chance. Because it's hit and miss. <laughs> it's so hit and miss. So, so nobody's perfect. I ain't perfect. Nobody's perfect. Like, bro, like, you going you to... You gonna miss some, you know what I mean? You, you definitely gonna miss some. Um, you miss those are the two, the two biggest ones. Yeah, those are the two yeah. biggest ones I missed um, that I had opportunity to be a part of. So, so, you, so, how did you know? Hold on, how did you know that um, 
Bryce for Bryson Tiller, like how did you figure out like like uh I missed on this guy? Like, did you hear a song? His song come on the radio or no, because Tunchy Tunchy signed him. So uh-huh. so Tunchy wanted to bring me in before he had even did the deal. Like they hadn't even signed him yet. Mm-hmm. And so but Tunji ended up signing the RCA. And then from there, I think it was kind of like a no looking back. Like the next thing you know, he had the Drake uh co-sign. And then he just, you know, went on and on from there. And then I still was around, like, because Tunji's my man. Like, Tunji's, like, one of my closest homeboys. And so I still was in the studio with Bryson and stuff like that. You know what I mean? I still got to hear Trap Soul before it come, came out and all that. And, and I swear to you, like, bro, this, you, you get the worst out of me, right? Mm-hmm. I swear to you, I remember sitting in the studio listening to Trap Soul, like, eh, it's all right. <laughs> and then when it came out, <laughs> when it came out and I heard it again, yeah, I hit Tunji. I was like, yo, something about the mix. I was like, I don't know what y'all did, but this ain't what I heard in the studio. Something's different. Like, this so you is heard crazy. Please, Lord, save her for me. You heard all of that. Please, before. Lord, save her for me. You heard this all that, bro. and you said that. It's Whoever mixed it put some magic sauce on it. Oh, yeah. Like, it's it's one of the best albums of the decade. It's one of the best albums of our lifetime. To yeah, be honest, man. you know what I mean. So it's incredible, and you know, <clears throat> it, you know, stuff like that happens, man. You can't win them all, bro. I got a Definitely question for you. Up yeah. until today, what would you consider your biggest loss, business wise? Like, what do you consider you put? You tried to put your, you did everything you could. You put all your time, effort, and money, and you did not get your ROI on it. See. I, I automatically something comes to mind, but this is still one of my close brothers. Mm. So I don't want him to feel like, you know what I mean? But automatically <laughs> something comes to mind. I lost a lot of money. Like everybody that I work with for the most part, I'm still tight with them. Like I'm, you know what I mean? Like mm. these are once I I care about these people. I don't have friends outside of what I do. Okay. You know what I mean? And that's, I really only have like two friends that have nothing to do with what I do. You know what I mean? So for the most part, my entire circle has something to do with my business. You know what I mean? That's just something my father taught me. Like if they're not aligned in what you're doing, then you don't even need to be yes, in sir. communication. And I, and I, so I say that, I say that, but at the same time, it's not, not saying that I'm, I'm rude to people who not, who not got stuff going or going in direction. Not like that. It's just my time. I spend my time with people and that are working on the same thing as me. You know what I mean? And so, so yeah, but yeah, so one of my biggest losses is one of my brothers. It didn't work out. Not to say that it's too late for him. You know what I mean? I hope it, I hope it still works out. But I pray, I don't even hope, I pray it still works out. All his dreams come true. But we spent a lot of money and it didn't work out. Could, could you explain for the- But, 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 but wait, real quick though, that's my biggest financial loss. I don't consider that my biggest loss. Okay. You know what I mean? I you, 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 you put it in financial terms. You nah, put it I in want your biggest terms. loss. Was it a woman? I want your biggest loss, period. What do you consider? Let, okay. Yeah, let it out. All right. So my biggest loss. Dang, man. On the road to rich. If you take if you take if you take money out of it, then I think it would just be, I wish that I continued to educate myself mm-hmm. because for a while there, like the reason I was so dangerous as a kid and the reason I was so successful as a child was because I was constantly self-educating. You know what I mean? But from like 
19, like basically from the point that we got on all the way to really after K Camp, there was no self education process for me. I was just, you know, living life, just having fun. And I, I stopped educating myself. And I feel like if I had continued to do that, I would be in a way better place in life than I am right now. Not to say that I'm in a bad place because I'm obviously on top of the world, mm -hmm. but I still will be much further alone in a lot of my goals. Um, and so one of the things that I, that I hate happening is I, I, almost, I don't want to say I feel like I knew it all, but I felt like I was good. I felt like I didn't put in the work. Now it's just time to enjoy and now it's just time to grind with music, but you know, I feel I didn't I didn't continue to educate myself and and I feel like that was that was a terrible lapse of judgment, a terrible mistake I made. And I wish I would have from 19 to 27, maybe. I wish I would have continued to just stay educated, stay trying to learn and stay hungry from that aspect. So that would I, that's what I would say is my biggest loss. I can understand. Okay. You don't get that time back. I understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So could you explain for uh, the people and also artists, um, and I kind of have two intertwined with one, the difference between a record label and a distribution? And also, do you think mm -hmm. DSPs will be the future of record labels? Well, excuse me, distribution, um, record labels, do distribute um, music, you know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and so what that used to mean was they package and send it to the stores, or really they outsource the packaging, but they have the distribution chain to send it to the stores. But now it simply just means, you know, upload to the internet, you know what I mean? Upload into to DSP. So um, that's what distribution is now. And so you can sign with a distribution company like Empire, um, you can distribute yourself through a tune core. Um, a record label is a group of teams. A record label is, is someone has built a system to help sell your music. You know what I mean? Someone has built a system to help create a brand for you to sell your music. And, and sell your music now means help your music stream because that's where our sales come from now is our streaming revenue. So a record label is a, a system that someone has built it could be two people, it could be a hundred people, you know what I mean? But they put together a system to help you sell your music. Um, that's what a record label is. Um, and a record label very well might not be the actual person distributing your music. They might have a company that they deal with that distributes the music, you know what I mean? So that's the difference there. And I, I forget the second part of your question. Uh, um, do you think DSPs would be the future of record labels. Do you think more people will just be satisfied with, okay, we can cut no. the record label out. I can go straight to the DSPs now because mm. while I see Spotify, what they're doing is they're starting to, uh, they want to put on their playlist, like on their playlist, they're saying something like, okay, like if you give us a percentage of your, uh, let's just say if you give 30 yeah. cent, if you give us 10 cent, we'll put it's, you it's, on the main. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, I'm just, just seeing all this happen before my eyes and like, are they trying to, you think that they will start signing artists in the future or having partnership directly with artists? <clears throat> I mean, you know, right. you got the so, Drake and Apple situation, so yeah. But, but besides, well, Drake is bigger, but I'm just talking about as far as the future, for as like, mm. you know, just moving on in, in a few years. So quietly, because 
even with DSPs, you're still talking about human beings. You're still talking about people. Mm-hmm. So most people find it hard to pass up opportunities to make money. So quietly, some people inside of the DSPs are creating situations and systems to where they can sign artists and run it up through their through their DSP. But no, that's not that's not a protocol. You know what I mean? No, that's not what they're built for. And I don't believe that's what they want um, as a whole. You know what I mean? I'm, like I said, there are people that are, are making those type of things happen. But as a whole, that's not what they want. They, they, don't, want to, um, at, they don't want to have to deal with the artists like that. You know what I mean? That's not the business model that they want to build. Um, so will people cut out record labels? people are always going to need help. And, you know, I just express you the best way you could what a record label is. And so people are always going to need that. You know, some people don't know how, don't want to know how, you know what I mean? Some people have still have the dream of, oh, I want to sign to a major and it's hard. It's hard to get them out of that dream. And sometimes you just have to let them go up there and see what it's like. And then, you know, either they decide that it's not for them and they try to leave or, you know, they roll with it. Um, So, I think people are, are forever going to have that dream, um, at least for the foreseeable future, um, to be able to sign some major record labels. And I think that the, the smaller independent distribution situations are going to continue to, to build and grow, but they're, they're always, there's always going to be options. There's never going to be one controls. Like, it'll, it'll never be one control in the whole market. There's always going to be, I can go here, I can go there. You know what I mean? So I don't, so no, I don't believe that they're going to get completely cut out. They're always going to be an option. Facts. Um, do you, now, do you think as far as like, uh, cause you also had something to do with Q money, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. He was, he yeah. Was- so Q is from my city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's my guy, man. He's from my city. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget, somebody sent me the video of him dancing. Um, I don't remember what year it was, but somebody sent me the video of him dancing. And so I just found a mutual friend that knew him. I reached out to him, um, flew him to Atlanta, uh, just sort of loved his energy, man. Like, he, it's obvious he's a star. You know what I mean? When you yeah, get around yeah, he him, it's, it's very obvious. Um, so he moved to Atlanta, he stayed with me, and. I don't think, I, maybe I was engaged at the time, but he, nevertheless, either my fiance or my girlfriend, I don't remember which one it was at the time, but he stayed with us for a couple of years um, while we built him up. And I, I mean, he was really on his way. Like, I think he was getting like 10 bands this show. Records were streaming like crazy. We signed a deal to Warner, so he got his big advance check. Um, I mean, he was he was really on his way, but you know, tragic situation happened. Um, he ended up in jail still hasn't got a court date so you know he could mm-hmm. be completely innocent but he's been in jail for two years mm-hmm. so i mean we don't know because he he hasn't even had his chance in court you know what i mean so that's why i hate about the, the system here now do you think not not in regards to his situation but as a whole how you mm-hmm. how you see like artists they uh once they you know they get involved with drugs you know like they're still glorifying mm-hmm. the street life do you think uh label owners are or not i don't want to say label owners but uh the people that they're working with with the label or their team do you think that they are somewhat responsible for example like famous dex the other day how oh, nle yeah. chapel called him out like hey 
Well, he didn't call him out. Just basically saying like, hey, can this manager or his team, can somebody wrap their arms around him? Clearly he has a drug problem. You know what I mean? Like, is it, yeah. what is, you know, like. But him saying that is him assuming that they haven't already tried. Right. Or mm-hmm. are yeah. actively trying. You know what I mean? He doesn't know. That's right. why he yeah. said, I don't get up on business, bro. You don't know. Right. You don't know what they're doing for this man. You know what I mean? But obviously this is a, a grown man. Like I can't, you know any of my artists, I can't stop them from doing anything. All I can do is give advice, you know what I mean, try to be there, but I can't stop them. I, they don't, like, they're not living under my roof, they're not my children, you know what I mean? They're, they're a person that I'm in business with. They're, this is a partnership, you know what I mean? You may be signed to me, but the contract clearly states this is a partnership, you know what I mean? I don't own you, you feel mm-hmm. what I'm saying? You're not my child, so all I can do is advise you. Well, I mean, you know, labels are attracted to, you know, bullshit. Let's just be honest about it. I mean, mm-hmm. they promote a bunch of violence. And I mean, it's not that they promote it. I mean, obviously, we engage in it because we, you know, promote yeah. it ourselves. You mean, that, you mean they support? It. Because yeah. if they sign yeah. this artist, and they don't tell the artist what to rap about. Right. The right. artist raps about that, and then right. they support right. it. Right. And that's why I say, mm-hmm. you know, we engage in it, too. But what I mean is, what I'm getting at is, Artists do that because they know, I ain't gonna say they know, they feel like if they're rapping about like back in the um, back in the 80s and everything, when you were making conscious music, trying to uplift the community and whatnot, you only see very few rappers do that and very few rappers get away with it in today's day and age. Usually you have to come out and ride the wave or come out with something of your own and make a hit with a bunch of, you know, a bunch of backing behind you. And basically that comes out to mm-hmm. me, it's usually some gangster stuff or it's usually some drugs involved or, you know, cash strippers and whatever else may be. I would say the, I say well, the best, the top well, tier rappers are the lyrical rappers. Of course. After that, then of course the, the feels well, the middle about, is Yeah, the I'm not talking about the that. top tier. Yeah. I'm talking about vast yeah. majority of kids or, you know, vast majority of up and coming artists, they usually follow the trend of, I have to at least be talking about something gangster. Yeah, and they you know where, yeah, they'd be nowhere yeah. near, they'd be, it'd be, it could be nowhere further from the truth, but they have no right. choice but to engage in that activity because that's what brings them streams. That's what brings them That's what them they money. love. That's what yeah. their friends if, love. They yeah, don't want to hear them, you know, rapping about. But, yeah, I mean, because they're usually marketing to, to white kids and, you know, white kids want to believe that, yeah. you know, they want to feel that for a moment. When, when they listen to that song, they, they feel like, oh, this is me. You know what I mean? And so yeah. that's that's where that comes from. Well, that's what it is now. Where it comes from, the overarching problem is way bigger, is way before our time when they decide to say, in order to, you know, take down a Black community, I want to promote them killing themselves. I want to promote these things. That's before our time. You know what I mean? Like, that's a real thing that really happened. They did say, I'm going to put this on Front Street because I want them to be betrayed this way. And I want them to behave this way. Yeah. But again, that's that's way before all of our time. Um, and so the only positive thing I can say is today, because we have the internet and because we have the DSPs, you know, whatever you're rapping about can make it. I was literally, before I got in this interview, I was watching uh, Yellow Pain. I don't know if y'all know him. He's from Ohio. And I was watching his videos about, and I was watching his videos about, you know, uh, that graduation record he got, which is insane, like about him telling the story about the the mom loving one kid more than the other. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? They had 12 million views. They ain't need yeah. nobody to come help him promote that. People picked that up and ran with it because that's how that's what can happen now with the internet. You know what I mean? The in, now people can really decide what they want. It's there's no 
they're not getting force fed, fed the way they force fed us in WA. You know what I mean? Because now it's up to us to p- figure out what we want to listen to. So it, it is a new game. And so they can't control the narrative through music the way they used to be able to. I still believe they can control it through social media. So, I, so not to say that they've lost all power, yeah. but they've lost it through music for sure. Because now anybody can choose what they want to listen to. You can't force feed them anything. Even, even the playlist, which is forcefully curated by us. Right. Everybody that curates playlists, I, I promise you, I, I, these are the people I work with every day. They're just like us. They want we they want what's best for us. You know what I mean? They're they're culture movers. So like they're not going to promote any BS, which is why Six Nine can't get on playlists, which is why Tory Lanez can't get on playlists because we're in charge of that. You understand what I'm saying? So we're in a much better space today than we were when that was being enforced. How do you, how do they decipher the bull? Like, is it just like, cause you know, a lot of artists do do bull crap and some of them, you know, is it like, okay, you did this, this is extremely bad. You won't get on the playlist or is it yeah. like, how do they filter it's, out that? I mean, Be- because for example, if six, nine, would. if I went to court, the same way you, same way you would. Okay. So <laughs> the same way you would, but, but, but with only two artists though, like, is it like, because well, like, I mean, how do you, is no, it just, I mean, to be perfectly honest, like those are the top two that came to, to mind. I remember after XXX got caught beating his girlfriend, they put him. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's been, it's R. Kelly, um, they, they put him for a while. So, I mean, those are the examples that come to mind. There may be more, but those are the ones. Yeah, I think they think in looking at it as like a, as a genre, like as trap rap as a whole, as a genre, like just. Yeah. Cause it, that's like what I said. Like, that's that's like, a different thing. That's a different yeah. thing. Yeah. They're, not gonna, they're not gonna stop yeah. people from talking about trap music. Like, yeah. why would they? You know what I mean? That's why it's, it's too prop. Uh, from when you said Jay Z said uh, he had a line, like one line changed your whole business. So it all of change it destroyed. Okay, destroyed it. Changed. Okay, destroyed it. So therefore, yeah. if you saying if you making if you got all these artists making songs that's t- demeaning, you know, uh, losing life, killing this, doing it, doing it, demon so time. It's if one line can really? destroy your business, yeah. then I think a lot of these songs can destroy people's lives, and uh, I think it's happening, you know. And, and then yeah, I, I mean, people can't... people are dying off off that hype. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people yeah. are definitely dying off the hype. Um, but I don't think that's something that. No, we can't change. We just observe yeah, it. I, you know. not, not even that change. I don't think that's something that we're looking to to change. You know what I mean? Hmm. Like there isn't a Black Lives New movement, Black Lives Matter movement for trap music. Like there isn't a group of people saying, "Get trap music out of here." You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that just doesn't exist. I got a question. Do you think um, it was kind of relating to what Myra was talking about earlier when she asked you about labels and everything taking, I mean, DSPs taking over labels? Obviously, the big question is with Drake and it looks like, you know, what we thought Kendrick coming up to be free agents and those type of artists going towards a DSP instead of going back to a label. So do you think that's right. ever possible that we'll have a smash artist like the Drakes and Kendricks or the J. Coles or something like that that actually becomes a free agent and while they're independently, they choose to go with a DSP over going with the label? Because I don't think Drake and Kendricks are going to do so, it. I don't think Blank check going to get right. out of here. 
so here's a, here's a, a, a real life example. Kanye mm-hmm. West is working on on doing just that, but okay. he's not going to go to a DSP. He's just going to an independent distributor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, so I guess if I use him as an example, then it, no. You know what I mean? No, I don't. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, even even Jay Z and Beyonce kept their music off Spotify for a while, um, but I don't think they would just only put it on title. Right. So yeah. So no, I, I don't think so. And lastly, before we get out of here, I know you probably got stuff to do and continue about your day. Um, I want to ask you about the whole. Um, I don't even want to bring up a specific situation, but I'll, I guess I'll bring it up. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole Scooter Brown selling Taylor Swift's masters or her, her mm-hmm. masters and her having the opportunity to re-record now that music and possibly have her versions out there to make money from. How does that situation work? Like, how does how does that work? Like, he sold he sold her her stuff, I believe, what, 300 million? Her yeah, her catalog for 300 million. Mm-hmm. So now if she re-records her catalog with the two catalog, because now you have her catalog being out there and, and essentially the one that he sold being yeah. out there. So if she were to make like a live version or something like that, um, to be honest, I don't know. I don't know. I know how the first part of it worked. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because when we're talking about masters um, and, and ownership, it doesn't mean because someone else owns it that I don't get paid. It only means I don't have the power to control what's done with it. When it comes to licensing the scenes, when it when it comes to selling it, like Scooter did, like Scooter has the control to say what happens with this, uh, with these, with this music, because he owns the master. So I know a big misconception, a big thing people think is, oh, if I don't own it, I don't get paid or something like that. No, it doesn't change how you get paid at all. You can own it and not own it and still get paid the exact same way. It only changes who has control over what happens to it, who has say so over where it goes because a big part of business is market share and being able to sell, use that market share to sell onto the next thing. You know what I mean? Anytime, like even when you take real estate, I'm building up this market share of real estate to be able to leverage it to buy bigger real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if that makes sense in VR and real estate. Um, yes. I'm trying to, okay, I was gonna say, but I need to break it down a different no, way. No, you're no, good. Fine. Yeah, you're we good. understand. Okay. Okay. Right. So, when it, when when you're in these these buildings, the reason they want to control the masters is because that adds to their market share, and that that gives them more leverage to be able to do the next move that they want to do. You know what I'm saying? So, when he sold her her uh, Western name, he didn't sell it for the money. He sold it to make the next move, the next bigger move. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But going back to the other part of the question, I don't know how it's going to work where she can re-record. And, and then put it up um just bluntly i, I don't i don't know how that works I, I think that goes into like i think that goes into um publishing and it goes into what's what's the word um i think t-boss did the same thing she re-recorded her interpolations interpolations it goes into publishing interpolations which I, i'm just not a, a, a expert at that stuff gotcha so yeah i don't know i don't know how it will work um but you know she should have got paid when they saw her masters and i'm sure she did I yeah, got she made it seem like I'm sorry. No, well, she made it well. She def well. She made it seem like you know. Uh, I guess she was more upset that he didn't have. She didn't have no knowledge it was sold to the person he sold it to. Yeah, to he, her. He don't gotta ask. 
right. don't gotta ask because he, he didn't console her or nothing. He just sold it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Outside of uh music, uh what what else you got your money in? Making money from uh real estate, um stocks, uh private equity. One of one of my, my favorite um things that I'm just you know learning about is just investing in companies before they go public, um mm-hmm. private equity. And so this is one of the ways that before Barack Obama, you know, we just didn't have access to because you had to have a certain network. It's um every time I want to say a word, it slips my mind. Um, accredited investor. You got to be an accredited investor to be able to invest into private equity, invest in private companies, which means you have to have a certain network. Yeah. You know what I mean, until Barack Obama came along and implemented the jobs plan, which made it um, eligible for everybody to be able to invest in um, sort of like seed rounds and credit A's uh, rounds. But anyway, I say that to say I've been doing a lot of studying. I've been in a lot of different circles figuring out which companies I want to invest in. So I've invested in four now. Um, and you, you hear a lot about this in the news now because Nas does a lot of investing. Um, that's what happened with 50 Cent, um, Beyonce. You know what I mean? Yeah, they do a lot of investing in private companies. Yeah, um, spectacular, all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's kind of my favorite thing because it's probably going to have the biggest return. You know what I mean? But other than that, real estate, um, stocks, but the stocks are more so um, almost, you know how you have a 401k retirement plan? Mm-hmm. All right. So those, since I don't, well, I do have a, a situation at, um, at Alamo, but normally, you know, before Alamo, I didn't have a W-2 job. I always worked for myself. Mm-hmm. And so there was no 401k plan for me. And so I, I sort of created my own. Um, and so that's what the stocks are for me. I have a financial advisor that oversees those stocks and, I invest money into it every month. Are you into a Bitcoin? You on that train? So I did that in 2016. I'm not doing it right now, but I, I think I made about 50 something thousand off of Bitcoin mm-hmm. back in 16 or 17, which was great, but it was nowhere near where I saw other people make. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but I was, I was. Not to say that I wasn't happy about my money, but I saw people become millionaires yeah. from it. You know what I mean? So um, if I would have known about it earlier, you know, I definitely would have made a lot more money. But oh, no, this time, go ahead. No, nah, go ahead. Finish. Now, I was just to say this, this time around, I, I didn't do anything with it. Hmm. Okay. Because it just hit. I think yeah. a couple people got paid off. It, 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 it looks like 19. And then I think it may came back down to around 17. Um, but no, I didn't I didn't mess with it this time just because you know sometimes when you win, you get you excited. You got a lot of money coming in. You got a smile on your face. You say no, it's just like that's the smile. It's like I, I, right you know, it's, I beat I beat the system once. Yeah. I don't want to test it again and lose. I already hit it for 50 bands. Yeah. I don't want to try my luck again and lose. You know what I mean? So okay. like, because I already beat the system, I'm like, I'm not finna play with it again. So I was like, nah, let me just sit out this time around. I got uh, one last question for you before we get um, out of here. When you were, uh, I mean, being in a managerial position in entertainment, I got a question. Where does a manager have to, I say, set his boundaries between business and personal when it comes to managing an artist? 
Because you see some managers out here, they're on the road with the artists, which is fine, but I see some of them at the shows with the artists. I see some of them um, engage in confrontation with the artists online and whatnot. Like, where do you draw the line? Like defending the manager? Like, like me defending the artists? I mean, yeah, like, um, say artists have personal beefs, online beefs and whatnot. And then, you know, yeah. the, you'll see the man, you'll see some managers jump in and like, you know, hey, and you know, like you said, defend their artists, but they have something personal going on. Like they have some actual stuff that went goes on back to their neighborhood that they're serious about. Right. So where, right. do you, where right. does the manager draw the line when it comes to those type of situations where they need to, I should say, how do they behave or should they behave? In it's so people? crazy because I feel like it just, it almost really just depends on age and maturity level hmm. you know what i mean because it's not even about i'm your manager it's just like am i mature enough to say i don't have nothing to do with that you know what i mean hmm. like or am i mature enough to say like hey listen bro i got a family i'm not gonna beef about nothing that petty you know what i'm saying so I, I don't think it's a dynamic of i'm your manager and you're my artist it's just a dynamic of when i was 20 i would argue with you but i'm 35 now i don't got the time to argue with you you know what I'm saying? So, like, I think it's more of that. It's just all about the person and, and where they are in life. Um, because these, this is like family. You know what I mean? Like, for me, it's always been that way. So, I'm going to defend somebody for sure. But if it's some petty young stuff, and I got a 21-year-old artist doing some petty stuff, I'm going to tell them about it behind closed doors, like, never in, in public. You know what I mean? But behind closed doors, I'm like, bro, you know, that, that makes no sense. You know what I mean? But, so, to answer your question, I really just think it's about the individual person and where they are in life versus manager-artist relationship. You know what I mean? Because there's nothing wrong with being on the road with them. Like, that's that's business. I'm taking care of my business. You know what I mean? So being on the road with them and being around them, it's me taking care of my business. It's not, it's not even a thing about I'm too close to them. I'm just handling business. You know I mean, do you so think I it's hard for do you think it's hard for some of the managers to tell the artists like you know this is this not worth it this petty because you see a lot of yes men I ain't gonna say yes men but you see a lot of um, no, managers oh can artists to do crazy stuff like yeah go ahead man yeah oh yeah you want to tweet that yeah go ahead man oh you want to you want to go here yeah come on let's go you know that's a different story because this 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 game is about attention mm. the more attention I the more attention I can garner the more money I can make. So that's a little different. Like, have I ever encouraged my artists to start a beef? Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I would even front with you. You know what I mean? Like, but it's not a beef where, like, you know, we finna be fighting and nothing like that. It's just online stuff. You know what I mean? Because, like, sometimes, bro, it just works better. You right. know what I mean? So if it's, if it's for business purposes, which sounds stupid, I know, but if it's for business purposes, I've, I've done it before, you know what I mean? So I'm not going to sit here and be like, no, I would never do that. No, I've done it. I've definitely done it, but to, to the degree where people is like fighting in real life, no, I, I've never encouraged anybody to go fight somebody. Or I mean, listen, if you're in the club with Don't your artist in a fight breakout, you know, they talking about, hey, you know, your artist come to you and tell you he's going to go pop the trunk, you oh, know. No. Oh, As his manager, what do I've you been, do? I've been, in, I've been in those situations, though. Oh, yeah. I've been in those okay. situations, but I mean, that's why we got security. Like, mm -hmm. we've never not had security, like, ever. You know what I mean? So I remember the very first show we had with K-Camp, his mom asked us, do we think we need security? And I said no. 
And she was like, nah, I think we should send him anyway. And sure enough, we needed him. Listen, we got in the club. We was in our little section. And one of the girls, you know, her dude was there, but she wanted to be in the section with us. So the dude was salty about that. And so the dude tried to snuff camp. Like when we, after we had performed and we leaving out the club, bro, first of all, they flattened our time, which was like very smart. I'm yes. not gonna lie. Like Maybe I was like, yeah, you stranded now. These niggas are clever. It was very smart, but whatever. You know what I mean? But yeah, so they, they flattened our time. But anyway, we was walking out the club and I was probably two people behind K-Camp. It was him, a couple people, and, and me. And I remember the security, for some reason, was behind me. And I don't know how he peeked this, but all I know is I saw him like, like move around me, come back like this, pow, hit the dude. And I didn't even know what was going on, but the dude was reaching back to hit Camp. Because Camp, for some reason, was first. Dude was reaching back to hit Camp. Security came, three people back, caught him. Talking about knocking his whole body. Like, were you ever seen somebody look like they got hit by an earthquake? Yes, sir. I'm talking about, bro, whole body just collapsed. You know what I'm saying? I was like, whoa. Like, <laughs> so we needed that security. Yeah, we, we, yo, so listen, we needed the security. That was a great call by his mama. I appreciated her for that one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, yeah, let's, so. let's, before we get out of here, you tell me how you guys uh, signed, like, Dirk, work with Dirk and Rod Way. So, so Dirk and Rodway were both there when I came. Um, I came January, you know, January, June, two thousand nineteen. It just hadn't popped yet, and and I say that for Dirk, um, in the sense that we all, everybody knew who he was, but he just hadn't ascended as we see him ascend now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He was still just, you know, sort of like a seasoned artist. You know, what I mean, everybody knew who he was. You know, aware of him, he was making good music. But he hadn't popped all the way to so where we see him now, where we would consider him like a top five artist. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, both of them were there. Um, Rod had a record called Heart on Ice. And it was the, actually the very first thing I did when I started at Alamo was talking to Carl Cherry, who runs Spotify. Um, and I said, hey, man, this record right here is going to blow. I said, I said, this kid, we got this kid right away. But I was like, literally at the time, I think, almost 90% of Rod's streams were coming from Florida. Like, so nobody outside of Florida had heard of him. But I was telling Carl, like, yo, he got Florida on lock. Like, he took over Florida. All we got to do is put him on the main stage and he going to blow. And so my very first move was taking Hard on Ice and, I, and uh, Carl added it to Most Necessary. Um, and then with Dirk, it was a, it was, uh, Rod was a little easier. Rod was a little easier because he was new, um, but with with Dirk, for some reason, you know, he just wasn't working on Spotify. Um, he was too street, maybe. You know, what I mean, Spotify is like the radio. Spotify is single driven, whereas Apple Music is album driven, is hood driven. Like the ur- the urban landscape is Apple Music, whereas Spotify is the radio landscape. Because you got to think about That's like nice. most people that can afford Spotify um, are more well off. You know what I'm saying? the higher average of income households have Spotify, whereas Apple, it's not like that. Like all of us had an iPhone, you know what I mean? So anyway, he wasn't really working at Spotify. And so to get him to where he was at now, 
it took us figuring out a way to get him to work. And I salute Carl because Carl forced it a lot. You know what I mean? Like, that's my guy. I was like, bro, we got to make him work on Spotify. We got to make him work. And Carl would put him in Rap Caviar. Even when it wasn't doing good, he would just kind of help make sure Dirk became Dirk. You know what I mean? And so um, this is definitely a relationship business. You know, I, I've, I've succeeded this far because I have those great relationships like that to be able to have those open, honest conversations with people like Carl and them to support me even when it's not in the best interest for the moment. You know what I mean? So um, it's a it's a dope situation to have, man. It's a dope thing to be able to, you know, take the dirts and take them up through there, take Rod up through there. Um, pretty fortunate, man. Pretty happy to be where we are. Do you think so. we'll ever get rid of the urban term? Uh, I mean, I know some people have called for that. Um, I'm not the best person to ask that because I'm not as sentimental as some people. Right, you right. Know what I mean? <laughs> so, so for me, it's like I don't care. Like it don't matter to me. Mm-hmm. But I know to some people it matters a lot. So I, I'll let them carry that fight, and I'll even support them in that fight. But just personally, I'm I'm not that. Right. You know, right. I'm not that good person. Yeah. Give me the money. That's all we care about. Well, um, <laughs> definitely appreciate it. And um, this is very insightful, helpful. Um, you opening up, telling us your story, uh, the things that you've been through in the industry and how you got your start. Like, we definitely appreciate it. No, nah, I appreciate y'all for having me, man. Thank y'all for reaching out to me, man. Um, I'm very happy I did this. I, you know, I want to make sure you guys go to where you want to go. So any favors you need from me, let me know. Oh, okay, we're gonna let support. you. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll definitely be in touch <laughs> yeah. with you for sure. Yeah, we're definitely gonna like be in touch. Yeah. So, um, we love to have yeah. you back for sure. Let me know. You know what you mean? Say, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know, man. It was cool. I don't think I like that. <laughs> no, no. Let me know. Yes, sir. I got you. Guys. I was reading text at the top of my um at the top of my computer. Oh, okay. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, um, again, uh, thank you. Exactly. We will be in touch. We will yeah. be in touch with you. Uh, and uh, have a blessed day, bro. Enjoy Bye. the rest of your day and, and keep it up. Uh, congratulations to Y'all everything, too. your success, sure. your investments. Like, keep it up. Uh, we love to see things like this, man. Yeah. Man, you no, have I appreciate it, man. I wish y'all much success as well. Like, All right, thank you. Have a good one.